0: The Mission Church is committed to helping each person belong and believe and to equip them to embrace the call of God upon their life. We pray these messages will build your faith and encourage you today. Uh, today we are uh, moving into the life of Jacob in the book of Genesis uh, the book of Genesis transitions, we're leaving Isaac. We've left Abraham, we've left Isaac, and now we are looking at the life of Jacob. And for the next eight chapters, the Bible will exclusively focus on the life of Jacob. Eight chapters to, uh, devoted to examining how God builds a man, how God builds a woman, Uh, how he makes them into a man of God. And what we're going to be doing over the next few weeks is looking at Jacob's life under a microscope. Uh, Watching his life and watching God work and watching God take this man who's by very name means deceiver or trickster and God will turn him from Jacob into Israel. From a deceiver into Israel, and Israel means governed by God and this is a miracle work this is the work of God in our lives it is not unique to Jacob this is what God wants to do in all of our lives I want you to know God has a calling on your life and life becomes amazing when we begin to embrace that call and walk in the truth that God has foreordained for us to walk in Is that not crazy to consider? The Bible says that God has foreordained good works for you that you should walk in them. What does that mean? It means that God has a plan for your life. He wants to use you as a builder of his kingdom. It's a father-son. It's a father-daughter relationship. You're in a family. And this is the family business. It is the kingdom of God. And God has gifted you with unique gifts, unique talents, unique abilities that are unique to you. And God wants to use those gifts to be a light to the rest of the world. To reveal to the world what a man of character, what a woman of character uh, looks like. We are in a world where uh, there isn't a lot of uh, substance in people's lives. Uh, we see it with politicians, we see it with movie stars, we see it with judges, we see it with just about every everything, uh, even, even in religious circles, there's no substance, there's no character. And by walking with God, and by learning his grace, and by learning his word, and allowing his word to lead, guide, and direct us into all truth... God wants to make his men, his women, into something substantial. Men and women of God. Men and women who have discernment. Men and women who have wisdom. Men and women who who can face a family problem and realize and hear and listen and be able to understand where someone is coming from so that there can be health and life instead of dysfunction and brokenness. This is God's plan. This is God's way. Jesus came and he said, I am the light of the world. Follow me. And as the disciples followed him, he then told the disciples what? You are the light of the world. You see, I am in you, and I want you to take all the things that I've revealed to you, and I have done in you, and I have built in you, and I want you to now go into the world and be the light of the world. And it is powerful when our life begins to uh, embrace God's calling. Our life finds worth. Our life finds substance. And you will excel and thrive in all that you do when we walk in that path, in that plan. And so this is God's work in our life. And this is how God builds a man. And by a man, I mean a a human, a man, a woman, a Jacob, a deceiver, a swindler. His name is representative of, of who? Of you, of me, of us all. And God takes us from being sinners, from being swindlers, from being selfish egotists, and he turns us into uh, the children of God. Uh, conformed to the image of Jesus. It is a marvelous work. And we're going to be looking at it over the, uh, the next few weeks as we look at this life of, of Jacob on display for us. God working in a Uh, to make a man of God, it is an intriguing process. And I tell you what, I love watching it. One of my favorite things as a pastor is to watch God working in your lives. To watch you go from, uh, well, I don't know, I'm kind of new here and I don't want to talk to anybody. Just leave me alone. Leave me alone. And next thing you know, uh, God has raised you up and you're leading and you're discipling and you're building others. Wow. I never tire of watching it happen. Uh, I wish you could see uh, the church from my perspective sometimes, you know, even in our Awana program. I mean, so many leaders uh, in our men's ministry, women's ministry, mission. I just, oh, it's amazing, amazing to watch. And this is God's work. Uh, I marvel at God, at how he does it. And you know what else I marvel at? How that not all get on that journey two people sitting in church one embraces the call of God and one stays stagnant two people and one begins to transform and and you see Christ changing their life pouring into them and building them and another goes nowhere we have a responsibility in this walk and we will learn through the life of Jacob how patient and kind and merciful and long-suffering and enduring and gracious God is with us on this journey, and I marvel at His patience as He grows us, how He puts up with our shortcomings for so long, loving us and and waiting for us to grow and to learn and to trust, uh, so that we can be transformed into something substance uh, some. Uh, a subst- something substantial. And I tell you, the world needs it. The whole world right now is like chaff, uh, just being blown by the wind into this new ideology. And then next year, it's over here into this new I- ideology. Did you ever dream you'd lived in a world that you couldn't even know what a boy and a girl was? I mean, it's crazy, but here we go. Oh, it's blowing this way today. Boom. Until we come into a crashing collision with reality. And God has so much more for us than those things. He wants to root us and ground us in the truth of, of his word. And again, I marvel at how he does it. If you weren't with us last week, let me kind of set the stage for where we're going. Uh, there, uh, God's story of redemption is all in every page of the Bible. Uh, Jesus, uh, the whole Bible is about him. Uh, the Bible even says, in the volume of the book, it is written of me, uh, the Messiah, Jesus. And so the story of redemption, God is called a man named Abraham to himself. Abraham was not a good guy. He was a bad guy. He was uh, worshiping other gods, doing all kinds of things, running amok like all of us do. And God got a hold of him and said, hey, I want to use your life. I want you to know me. And God makes a covenant with this man. And he says, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. And he gives him what's called the Abrahamic covenant. And he tells him, this is an unconditional covenant. You don't have to do anything. It'll be all my doing on your life. Uh, Now, take on my ways, learn of me, walk with me, and so God calls him uh, he's 100 a, a years old, he's never had a kid, he finally has a child, God says I'm going to make you a great nation slow start God, right, slow start 100 uh, years of age and he has Isaac, Isaac then grows up, 40 years old, finally gets married, slow start God yep. Isaac then gets married and he can't have kids either he and Rebecca are barren And they go 20 years with no children. And you go, God, what are you doing? Here's what God is doing. He's showing us it's not by might. It's not by power. But it's by my spirit, says the Lord. This is my doing. This is my work. And I will bring it to pass. Isaac and Rebecca finally conceive. And she has twins. And as she's pregnant, there's this horrible battle going on in her pregnancy. And she says, God, what is going on? This is like the worst pregnancy ever. And God says, two nations are in your womb. And the older will be a servant of the younger. Why? Why? God's showing us. The book of Romans unpacks this to show us that it's by God's election. It's not by uh, birthright or birth order or anything. It's by election. And God says, Jacob have I chosen and he's the one to which the inheritance is going to come he's the one that the birthright is going to come he's the one where it's going to receive this Abrahamic covenant upon his life and he's the one through whom the Messiah is going to come and so the kids grow up Esau is an outdoorsman he's a hunter his dad loves him he's a man's man they play football they play rugby they play soccer they go golfing Jacob grows up he 's a mama 's boy, he likes the kitchen, he likes to cook. <laughs> and Esau, excuse me, uh, uh, Isaac gets old, and Isaac thinks he's going to die. We looked at this last week, and Isaac decides he's going to disobey God and he's going to give the birthright blessing to Esau, his favorite son. Rebecca hears about it, and she dresses Jacob up in. in Esau's clothes and Jacob goes in and he deceives his own father. And he swindles his own brother trying to earn a blessing that you cannot earn. Trying to achieve in his own strength the work that only God can do. And that deception and that trickery backfired. Esau Finds out about it, and he hates his brother. And Esau says, my dad is about ready to die. I'll wait until dad passes, and the day he passes, I'm going to kill my brother. Rebecca hears about it. Mom hears about it. And she says, Jacob, you got to get out of here. You got to get out of here. Go to Uncle Laban and get a wife. And that was twofold. Number one, that was God's will, that they wouldn't be unequally yoked with the, the people of uh, the unbelievers in her area, that she would go back to Haran, where uh, Abraham's family was, where her family was, and, um, and uh, take a wife from there. And so uh, uh, that's where we pick up our story. And I want you to know, Rebecca's deception it was Rebecca's idea to have Jacob dress up as someone else. Uh, Rebecca's deception cost her more than she would have ever dreamed. I want you to know when we, uh, when we scheme, when we deceive, when we sin, sin carries horrible consequences. It'll cost you more than you ever dreamed. It'll uh, take a bigger chunk out of you than you ever realized. And uh, Rebecca tells her son... Jacob, I want you to go to Uncle Laban, get a wife from there, and as soon as your brother's anger cools down a little bit, I'll call you and bring you home. And she thought it would be, you know, a month or two. Turns out she never saw him again. He stayed gone over 20 years. She died in that time. She never saw Jacob again. Sin will cost you more than you ever thought it would, and may we be wise. So with that uh, rambling introduction, let's jump into the text. Uh, We're in Genesis 28, and we left off on verse 9, which means we're on verse 10. (laughs) And are your Bibles open? Are you there? Give me a big amen if you're at 2810. Let's pray and bring our hearts before the Lord as we read his word. Uh, God, we come before you and we praise you. Number one, because you're the creator, Lord. We thank you for your, your majesty and your splendor. Thank you for making us. Thank you for blessing us with so many good things. But Lord, specifically right now, we've come to learn about you. And Lord, uh, we need help. We need your spirit. We have a difficult time loving people who we can see. Lord, how are we going to love you who we can't see? Lord, only by your spirit is that possible. So, Lord, allow your word to give us instruction of who you are, that we might take on your ways and learn of you and walk in your path. We ask it in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. 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 Genesis 28.10. How's the temperature in here, by the way? Are you good? A A little hot? (laughs) what do I do with that (laughs) Uh, Lorenzo if you're within earshot maybe we can turn the thing down just a a, a little bit Uh, verse 10 here we go Uh, now Jacob went from Beersheba Beersheba is where he lived with his family and he went towards Haran Uh, Haran was a 500-mile journey. Uh, No Uber, no cars, no bicycles. Uh, 500-mile journey, that would take a long time. Uh, And A day's journey is about 15 miles. So for you who are really good at math, how long is a 500-mile journey at 15 miles a day? A lot. Yeah, there we go. Uh, it's about a month and a half. So he begins this long journey, right? Um uh, and he goes from Beersheba and he starts heading towards Haran. Uh and so he came to a certain place and he stayed there all night. That certain place we're gonna learn is uh Bethel. And uh we're gonna uh, we're gonna see uh, Uh, We know where Bethel is, so it's about 45 miles from Beersheba. So we know it's been about a two or three day journey since he left his home, right? So he goes to this certain place and he stays there all night because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of that place and he put it under his head. How does that sound? (laughs) And he lay down in that place to sleep. Uh, I want to think about this with you just for a moment. Um, Jacob is a man who loved being at home. Uh, Esau, his brother, was the outdoorsman, not Jacob. Jacob was a man of the tent, like being at home. And now Jacob finds himself on the run. Jacob finds himself uh, all alone. Jacob finds himself running for his life, knowing that his brother wants to kill him. And he's probably looking over his shoulder every few minutes like, oh, is he coming? Am I safe? And here this man who loved to be at home is now out on his own. And no doubt he is thinking, how did I get here? How did this happen? Have you ever had circumstances unpack in your life and then you just go, what the heck? How did I get here? You ever have that? That's where Jacob is right now. And he was desiring God's blessing. He was desiring God's covenant. But he lived up to his own name. He tried to get it by cheating and by deception. And now he is thinking about all that he has done. Oh, I deceived my father. I swindled my brother Isaac. I took God's name in vain in the process. I fell into gross sin, and now I'm on the run. I'm a fugitive, fleeing for my life. My brother wants to kill me. And he begins this 500-mile journey to go to Haran. And Haran, you'll remember, is where Abraham settled there with his dad uh, as he was making his way to the promised land. Kind of going the wrong direction. And he told his family about this true and living God. And they became followers of this God. And And uh, uh, now Jacob is going back to this place where he had never been. And he's alone. And on this 500 mile journey he comes to this certain place it's called Bethel, and uh, uh, he's covered some good ground, all right It's forty five miles in just a couple of days, but he still has a long journey ahead, forty five miles down, done, four hundred and fifty five miles to go. And what must be going through Jacob's mind as he faces all of this? He is tired and he is weary, and he lays his head on a big stone. And he looks up at the stars at night and he looks up into the majestic Milky Way galaxy and he ponders. What do you think he's thinking? Don't you love going out into the desert and looking up into the stars, by the way? Uh, It is so good to be reminded how small we are at times. City life can take a, the way, the reality of that from us. It is good to get out and just to realize how vast God is. The psalmist would say in Psalm 8, When I consider the heavens, the moon and the stars that you have ordained, what is man that you'd be mindful of him? What is man that you would visit him? What is man that you would care about what man does? What is man that you would even care not only about his actions, but about his what? His thoughts. Crazy. And there Jacob laying underneath the stars, looking up, going, oh, what have I done? And I wonder what Jacob was thinking. What am I doing here? How did I get here? And what? I'm looking for a wife? Me? You think God's going to bless me with a wife after what I've done? I should have never tricked my dad. Oh man, I regret tricking my dad. And what if he dies when I'm gone? And my own brother, oh, I deceived my brother. I wonder if he's chasing me. I'm such a failure. I can't believe I did those things. I'm so stupid. No wonder my dad likes Esau better than me. You know, I don't even think I ever had any real friends. And isn't it amazing how when we're in these situations I have found how the enemy comes alongside and just puts the screws to us at times like this? You call yourself a believer? You call you think you believe in God? You think God's going to bless you now after what you did? You might as well just pack it in and die. I know none of you ever felt that way. And this is how horrid the deceiver, Satan, is. He tempts us to sin. He lures us in. He says it'll be so good and you'll get what you want. And then when we do it, we walk away from it and we go, oy vey, what have I done? And then what does he do? He puts the screws to us and goes, yeah, you're a loser. I am so thankful that there is, therefore, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set us free from the law of sin and death. I am so thankful that we are righteous apart from works in Jesus Christ, aren't you? And if you find that the enemy is putting the screws to you, may you just remember God's love for you and who you are in Jesus Christ. But Jacob is here in a horrible spot, and he is feeling bad. He knows he has made a mess of things. He even took the Lord's name in vain. And Jacob is feeling guilty as charged. He is aware of all the bad things he has done. He's emotionally exhausted by the heinous sins that he's committed against God and against his own family. Not only is he emotionally exhausted, but he's physically exhausted. He's done 45 miles in two days. And Jacob looks for a place to lay his head. And all he can find is what? A rock. Some days are like that. (laughs) And there at a very dark and a very lonely spot, sad, lonely, and on the run, Jacob goes to bed feeling like? Feeling like? Yeah. How tragic. Uh, Look what God does. He finally falls asleep, no idea how long it took, no long idea how long he meditated up in the stars. Verse 12. Then he dreamed. And behold, a ladder was set up on the earth, and its top reached to the heaven. And there the angels of God were ascending and descending on that ladder. Uh, How interesting. Uh, the word ladder, by the way, could be translated a giant staircase. Uh, and he sees this. How many of you remember studying Jacob's ladder as a kid, right? And, and here it is right here, right? This is it. Uh, and he sees this. And the angels of God or the messengers of God were ascending and descending on the stairway, this ladder. And behold, the Lord Jehovah, Yahweh, stood above it and said, I am the Lord. I am Jehovah. I am Yahweh. I am God, Jacob, not you. I am the Lord. I am the God of Abraham, your father. And I am the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie. I will give to you and to your descendants. Oh my gosh. What is God doing? Those of you who have been with us, those of you who have been studying in Genesis with us, where does that line come from? Where does that promise come from? Where is that? That's the Abrahamic covenant. Jacob, I will give you this land. I will give you a homeland. The nation Israel. Verse 14. Also, your descendants shall be as of the dust of the earth and you shall spread abroad to the west and the east, to the north and to the south. Wow, Jacob, not only am I going to give you a homeland, I'm going to make you a huge, giant nation. Then he says, and in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Uh, We've been studying the Abrahamic covenant. Uh, How is it possible that through the Jewish nation, all the families of the earth would be blessed? Through the Messiah. His name is Jesus, right? Uh, All the nations of the earth blessed. And look what he says. And in you, oh, I'm sorry, verse 15. And behold, I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go, And I will bring you back to this land. This is so curious to me. God says, I'm going to give you divine protection. The same thing he told Abraham in the Abrahamic covenant. I'm going to bless those who bless you. I'm going to curse those who curse you. I'm going to protect you. Uh, Divine protection against anti-Semitism. If it wasn't for that divine protection, every Jew on the face of the earth would have been wiped out, would have been genocide, but God has divine protection on them. And I find this so interesting. Look what he says. Uh, I, will, uh, uh, I will bring you back into this land. Which way is Jacob going right now? He's only 45 miles into a 500-mile journey, and God says, I know where you're going, but I will bring you back. I'm going to bring you back into this land. Uh, and look what he says. For I will not leave you until I have done What I have spoken to you. What a powerful, powerful promise. Uh, Here, uh, I, I marvel at God, right? Here at this low point in Jacob's life, God mercifully comes to him and speaks to him in a dream. That is so awesome. How gracious. By the way, there are 33 dreams, uh, divine dreams, recorded in the Bible. God uh, speaks through dreams at times. I'm just curious, out of uh, curiosity, how many of you, don't raise your hand unless it really happened, uh, how many of you think that you've had a, a, a dream that was actually of divine significance sometime in your life? Hold them up. Keep them up for a minute. Take a look around the room. Quite a bunch. Um, All right, you can put your hands down. How many of you wish you? No, I'm just joking. (laughs) Uh, When I was first saved, uh, I had a dream uh, that I believe had divine significance. And I remember it vividly, every specific detail. And it was over 30 years ago. And it's amazing how God can do that. And uh, it had. Uh, a lot to do with uh, my calling uh, to be a pastor Um, uh, indirectly uh, but I'm not going to tell you about it Um, (laughs) but here I want you to see something Uh, what is God doing Jacob is at a total low point he's a radical swindler he's deceived everybody even his own dad And what does God do? He speaks to him. And here we learn something about God. God speaks to the humble and to the broken. He is loving and merciful. And God speaks to the humble and broken. And I want you to know, if men wrote the Bible, this story would not be in there. If men wrote the Bible... God would speak to you after you just did some magnificent feat of righteousness. After you just fed the poor and climbed the mountains of Tibet and fasted and cut your knees and bled two gallons. And (laughs) then God would speak to you. But man didn't write the Bible. God wrote the Bible. And God doesn't work like man thinks. Man thinks that God only speaks to Mother Teresa and to monks and to super ultra religious. And, and God says, no, 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 no. I am near to the humble and to the broken hearted. Why does God speak to the humble and broken hearted? Why does God speak to sinners? Here's why. Because the cross of Jesus Christ proves there are none righteous, no, not one. If God didn't speak to sinners, he would never call us. God speaks to sinners, and he has great compassion on those who are humble and brokenhearted. Multiple times, Jesus said, whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And whoever humbles himself will be what? Exalted. Exalted. And here Jacob has been humbled and God says, now I can speak to you. I can lift you up. You see, Jacob, before you thought you were all that, you thought you could do it on your own and me speaking to you wouldn't do any good. But now that you are humbled, I can speak to you and you can learn my love, my grace and my mercy. Uh, What an amazing God. Uh, Jesus repeated that kind of teaching all the time, by the way. Not only did he say, uh, those who are exalted will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Uh, he said that numerous times, but he also said things that were the same teaching in a myriad of ways. He also said things like, the first will be last. And the last will be first. You see, this are, these are the values of the kingdom. God doesn't value arrogance and self righteousness. What a joy to see you to here today. Oh my gosh. Phyllis Ramage here today, touching my heart. Uh, uh, God doesn't say, oh, uh, you are the grand bah. I'll speak to you. No, 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 no. God loves the brokenhearted. And if you are brokenhearted today, I want you to know you are near to the heart of God. Uh, Uh, God resists the proud but he gives grace to the humble Uh, I love that about him by the way I love that about him Uh, Jesus had a brother named James James was a very intelligent man Uh, he was a religious leader Uh, he was well known Uh, he was rising through the ranks of Judaism and uh, there was only one problem what was the problem? He didn't believe that his brother was the Messiah. And I can understand that. It would be hard to believe your brother was the Messiah. (laughs) The guy that you rode big wheels down the hill with. The guy that you went skateboarding with. The guy that you threw frisbees with. Right? Uh, And so James, in his pride, began to be a mocker of Jesus. And it's recorded in the Gospels that he would mock Jesus, and he would say things like, "Hey, it's Passover, big guy. Why don't you go do your teaching down in the you know, we're down in the temple where you can really impress everybody? Hey, if you're really something, go down there." And he would mock Jesus. And James did not believe, and he watched his brother get crucified. And when Jesus resurrected three days later, Jesus appeared to guess who? To James. And he sees his brother risen from the dead in a glorified body. And James goes, oops. (laughs) Oh my gosh. And James would then write things That make the book of James look entirely different when you consider where he came from. He would write things like, let every man be swift to hear and slow to speak. Oh, I wish I would have listened to him. I wish I wouldn't have thought I was all that and not listened to him. I wish I wouldn't have been jealous of my brother and I wish I would have just listened to my brother. James would write things like this in James chapter 4. Let me hear you read this. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Wow. Why did James not believe in his brother? Because he was too high-minded. Notice what he says, therefore submit to God, resist the devil who wants you to think you're all that and get you to go against God's ways so he can condemn you. And look what he says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Look at the rest of this verse that's fascinating in light of what we're talking about. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Uh, I think James is probably thinking of himself. Uh, we think of gross sin as adultery or stealing or lying. And, and hey, those are bad sins. Don't, don't get me wrong. But do you know what, God, what sin God hates the most? Yeah, you Bible scholars know. Proverbs 6, six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are abomination to him, and pride tops the list. And he is saying to himself... Cleanse my hands of my pride. And notice how he says it: lament and mourn and weep instead of thinking that you're what? All that. Uh, James is not saying that it's better to walk around mopey and sad, better to be like Eeyore. Woe is me. That's not what he's saying. When he says, lament and mourn, what he's saying is, don't think you're all that. And that is a reoccurring teaching in the Bible. Why does God speak to the brokenhearted? Why does God speak to those who are humble? Here's why. Because God values those qualities in his kingdom. That's what the kingdom is made of. Nobody in the kingdom is going around trying to show everybody how amazing they are. God says, I don't like that. Those aren't the, that's not the currency of the kingdom. And so we need to learn to not think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think, but to think soberly as God has given to every man a measure of faith. What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it from God, why do you boast as if you did it all on your own? Or did you make yourself that attractive? I don't think so. Did you make yourself that good in business? I don't think so. Did you make yourself that great of an athlete? I don't think so. Yes, you can, you can uh, uh, polish your gifts, but they are given to you by God. And James says, lament and mourn. Don't think that you're all that. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will do what? Lift you up. These are the values of the kingdom. Now, again, James isn't saying walk around and be sad. He's saying walk around and don't be full of yourself. Walk around and think about others as more important than yourself. And I will use you. I will lift you up. Failure has humbled Jacob. And failure had humbled James. And like James, after he was humbled, God can then do his best work in his life. He can begin to speak to him. And that's what's happening in Jacob's life. God comes and he speaks to him. And look at these promises that God gives to Jacob. Notice the I wills, the I ams of this passage. Uh, Look at verse 13. And behold, the Lord God uh, stood above it and said, I am the Lord, God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie. I will give to you and to your descendants and your descendants shall be like the dust of the earth. I will multiply you and in your seed, all the families of the earth will be blessed. I will do that. I will bring the Messiah through you. Verse 15, behold, I am with you and I will keep you And I will bring you back into this land. And I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. It is all God's doing. God is reminding Jacob. God is teaching Jacob. And God is showing him. And I love this verse, man. I love it. Look what he says. He says, I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. What a powerful promise. And I want you to know, God is telling Jacob, Jacob, listen, my plans for the nation Israel is unconditional. It is going to happen. No matter what you do, no matter what any of the Jews do, my plan for the nation Israel is going to happen. And all the promises that I've given to the nation Israel are going to happen. What promises are those? Promises like The Messiah will come come through you. Did that happen? Yes. Promises like you'll be scattered throughout all the earth. I will scatter you all over the earth because you rejected the Messiah. Did that happen? Yes. 70 AD, God scattered them all over the earth. As the Romans began to persecute the Jews, the dispersion happened and they went all over. And God said, I will gather you back into your land when you are at your weakest. I will gather you back into your land. And I want you to ponder this. Did that happen? Oh, it happened. 1948, 8070 to 1948, nearly 2,000 years of being dispersed throughout all the land. God brings them back after World War II, after Hitler just annihilates. And tries to genocide the whole nation after 6 million Jews are wiped off the face of the earth at their very weakest moment. God makes them a nation? How do you explain that? And they keep their national identity, their homeland, their language, everything. And God brings them back in, in his grace. And there are a million other, no, a million is too many. There are hundreds of other promises that God has said he is going to do through the nation Israel. He's going to preserve them to the very end. And the Messiah is going to come back in glory to rule and reign bodily and physically from Jerusalem. As all of the earth is against Israel and trying to blow it off the face of the earth, Jesus Christ will come back. Jesus said, Uh, unless those days were shortened no flesh would be saved but for the elect's sake for Israel's sake those days will be shortened and I will come back and I will set up my kingdom and then the lion will lay down with the lamb and righteousness will reign on the earth and the king of kings and the lord of lords will bring righteousness to the earth what we've longed for all of our days since the beginning of time God is going to keep his promises. Look what he says. I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. What a great and powerful promise. And I want you to know I love this about God. Because what is true for Israel is also true for you. I will not leave you. I will accomplish all that I have set out to do in your life. I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful my sin doesn't disqualify me. I am so thankful my stumbles and my blunders and my stupid clumsy moves don't hinder or hinder is the wrong word. Don't prevent this work of God from happening in my life. Uh, I love this about God. God never gives up on me when I sin. God never gives up with me on me when I fail and he doesn't give up on you either. I want you to know uh, if you are in a a dark spot, man, it is time to just come to Jesus and say, Lord, speak to me. I want to walk with you. Jacob doesn't deserve a thing from God, especially now. Nevertheless, God says, hey, I'm coming to you. I'm reaching you. I'm speaking to you, and I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised. What we are watching here is God making a Jacob, a swindler, a sinner into a man of God, into a man of substance. And it is a powerful work. Alan Redpath Uh, One of my favorite authors uh, has a great quote. He says, the conversion of the soul is the miracle of a moment. But the making of a saint is a task of a lifetime. Wow, so good we are saved and redeemed the moment we put our faith in Jesus Christ he speaks to us he shows us his love we go oh my gosh I believe that you so love me that you gave your only begotten son that God you yourself went to a cross on my behalf to show me your love to offer me forgiveness and to bring me into fellowship with you you did this all for me and all of human history points to that date or away from that date. You bring all focal, focal points, all attention to that. You want me to know you. God, I want to know you. I receive your love. And God says, great. And bam, in a moment, you're born again. You're transformed. And you're sealed unto the day of redemption. Uh, amazing. But then the work begins. God begins to make us, to transform us, to conform us into the image of Jesus, to change our lives. And man, it's a powerful work, but it takes time as he he begins to build character in us. This is God's work. Jacob is a mess. He has a lot to learn about God. We're going to see him do more clumsy things. But God is faithful and he is going to do his work. Jacob had tried hard to earn God's blessing. And God is trying to show him here right now. What's he trying to show him? You cannot earn my blessings. I am a father. And you are a son. You are a daughter. And my blessings are given to you by faith and faith alone. You cannot earn my blessings. Interesting what God does here. What does God show Jacob? What manifestation does he give him? What a crazy dream. What is the dream? What is it? A ladder to where? A stairway to heaven. (laughs) Don't start thinking that song. (laughs) Why a stairway to heaven? why that manifestation of all manifestations God is trying to show Jacob something what is he trying to show him think it through Jacob you cannot come to God on your own ability Jacob you cannot reach God you can't do it on your own steam God must provide the way wow How many of you can climb your way to heaven? It is not possible. And the Bible makes it abundantly clear over and over. And that is the message God is showing Jacob. Jacob, you cannot come to God on your own ability. I have to provide the way for you. And I have provided the way for you, Jacob. Uh, This is my work in your life. Many today, like Jacob, try to earn their way to God. Maybe you're one of those people. You're just trying so hard to be good. And you try really hard to be good, and what happens? You're not good. And so you go, I'm going to try harder. And so you try harder, and you even grunt. And what happens? You're just not good. And I tell you, it is a treadmill. It is a it is a horrible way to try to go through life. And here's what will happen the more you try to be good, the worse you will get because you will start being a just a a thorn to everybody else. Well, hey, I did this, this, and this. What did you do? And what did you are you on the couch again? And you will become a terror trying to be good. It's just human nature. And I look at the world and nothing has changed. Just like Jacob, we try to earn uh, this way to God and it just can't be done. We try to earn it through good deeds or we try to earn it through meditation and yoga and hum. I'm going to think. I'm going to zone. I'm going to get spiritual. Uh, We try to uh, be, you know, climb to heaven through self-realization, through karma, through uh, worshiping nature, through, I don't know, going solar, solar, uh, getting solar panels and (laughs) doesn't work. Jacob had tried to get the spiritual blessing by his own effort and what happened he made a what a mess of everything as a matter of fact it was worse than where he was before and that is exactly what Jesus taught Jesus taught a parable and he says listen you can't clean up your life here's the parable You'll try to sweep your house clean. The kingdom of heaven is like a woman who tried to sweep her house clean. And she swept it clean. And she drove out all the demons. And she swept it all clean. And seven more demons came and lived in the house. And the end state was worse than she was before. That's right where Jacob is. And that's right where you are when you try to be the really good person. Next thing you know, you're barking at everybody because they're not doing as good as you are. And your end state is worse than you began. In John chapter 1, Jesus gave us commentary or Jesus told us the answers to this mysterious ladder pathway to God. Do you know what Jesus said this Jacob's ladder was? Guess what Jesus said Jacob's ladder was? This stairway. He said, it's me. It's me. You see, the entire Bible is about Jesus. Do you know what God is showing Jacob here? He's saying, you need a Messiah who can bring you to heaven. Let me tell you the story in John chapter 1. There's a guy named Philip, and Jesus calls him to be one of the twelve disciples. Can you imagine? Oh. And Philip, here's Jesus teaching, and he's like unbelievable. I gotta tell people. So he runs and he tells a guy named Nathaniel, and he says, Nathaniel, I think we found the Messiah. I think he's here, and so. Nathaniel goes, really? I want to meet him. So Nathanael goes walking towards Jesus. And before Nathanael ever gets to Jesus, they're like a ways away. Jesus stops and says, points at him and says, behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no guile. Wow. What a nice thing for Jesus to say. That's a, that's a, good, that's a good compliment right there. Loose paraphrase. Here's finally a religious person who understands the heart of God. That's unusual, Jesus was saying, right? Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no guile. And Nathanael is blown away. They've never met. And look what Nathanael says, John chapter 1, on your screens. Oops. uh, Is that the first verse I put up there? Uh, so Nathaniel says, How do you know me? We've never met. And here's what Jesus said. Uh, oops, nope, not, not yet. Uh, <laughs> Nathaniel says, How do you know me? And Jesus says, Before Philip called you, when you were sitting under the fig tree, I saw you. And Philip, uh, Nathaniel goes, Wow. I mean, he's blown away. How did you know me that I'm an Israelite with no God? And how did you know I was sitting underneath a fig tree? And here's uh, his response. He says, you are the Messiah. You're the Messiah. Unbelievable. And look what Jesus says to him after he makes that declaration. Jesus said to him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? Read this with me. You will see greater things than this. And boy, did he. He saw the Sermon on the Mount. He saw Jesus raise the dead. He saw Jesus give sight to the blind. He saw Jesus heal leprosy. He saw all kinds of things amazing. Jesus says, you believe because I said that? You're going to see greater things than this. Look at the rest of the verse. And he, that's Jesus, said to him, most assuredly I say to you hereafter you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the son of man. Sound familiar? That's exactly what we read in Jacob's ladder. In other words, who's the son of man? Jesus. Jesus is telling Nathanael, Nathanael, I am Jacob's ladder. I am the bridge that God has provided between God and man between earth and heaven and I am the way to God I am God and uh, just amazing right just amazing and so here we learn that Jacob uh, excuse me that uh, the whole Bible is about Jesus and uh, so fascinating so fascinating to look Uh, We cannot come to God on our own ability. God must provide the way. And that's what God was teaching Jacob in this story of Jacob's ladder. And God did provide a way. His name is Jesus. And again, as I told you earlier, the book of Hebrews, uh, Jesus, uh, in the volume of the book, it is written of me. Almost every page. And so uh, radical transformation uh, Jacob went to bed that night stressing. His life had been falling apart, uh, probably, you know, just uh, burdened and, he- and heavy laden. Uh, God, how could you ever use me? And he woke up the next morning with strength and with joy. God showed him, Jacob, this is all my doing and I'm in control. Uh, <clears throat> look at the I wills that we looked at in this passage. Jacob, this is my doing. I will do this. I will do this. And Jacob says, Oh God, you're so good. You're so good. Uh, How relieved Jacob was that God spoke to him. Uh, Let's look at this now. Verse 16. uh, We'll see if we can uh, buzz along fast and wrap up this this chapter. How do I talk so long? It baffles me. (laughs) 16. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. Uh, Jacob thought he was in a horrible spot, and what does he realize? This is a great spot to be in, man. And I want you to know those words, the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. You can say that about whatever situation you're in. Maybe you're in a financial hardship right now and you've lost your job and you're going, oh my gosh, I don't know how this is going to work. Hey, you're in a great spot. The Lord is in this place and he will show himself strong. Maybe your marriage is in a tight spot and you're, you're between a rock and a hard place and you're going, how is this going to work? I want you to know, humble yourself. Let God lead you. And you will find out the Lord is in this place and you didn't know it. He will redeem. Uh, Maybe you are going through a a problem with a son or a health problem or, uh, hey, the Lord is in this place. Let him lead you. Verse 17. uh, And he was afraid uh, and said, how awesome is this place? I tell you, there ought to be a godly reverence when we walk into church. Jacob realizes this isn't just any dream. No, no, no. God was speaking to me, and he was moved with awe and reverence for God. Uh, and he's, 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 he's moved, right? How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. Here we see that Jacob has uh, got a little bit to learn about God, right? Uh, here we see actually that Jacob knows very little about the God he believe, believes in. He's like, wow, I just happened to land in the right spot. This is the house of God. No, this isn't the house of God, Jacob. God is reaching you where you are, but God is omniscient and omnipresent, and He is everywhere. Uh, This isn't the house of God, Jacob. Verse 18 Then Jacob rose early in the morning, and he took a stone that he had put at his hand, and he set it on a pillar as a pillar, and he poured oil on top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel. Uh, Bethel means the house of God. Uh, But the name of the city had been Luz previously. Uh, Do you see what's happening here? Uh, Jacob is becoming a worshiper. And Jacob, even though he's confused, he knows a little bit about God, uh, but he is becoming a worshiper. Jesus is transforming his life. Jacob's understanding of of God is small, but God meets him right where he is uh, with with inconceivable mercy and he reveals more of himself to him because he finally humbled himself and and that relationship with God now begins to grow. Jacob's Jacob's relationship with God, however imperfect, however flawed, begins now to transform and it's a great work that God is is going to do. I love that... uh, uh, That God is so gracious to us even when we don't know him very well. Think about these words. Jacob knows little about the God he believes in. And so many in the world are that way. And do you know what? God wants to take us out of that. That is what God is doing in Jacob's life right now. God wants us to to, to know him. Uh, God wants to build him. And God will build him into a substantial man of faith. This is God's work. And even as flawed and as ignorant as Jacob is right now, God's going to do a mighty work in his life over the next eight chapters. And it's going to be so fun to study it with you. Let's close. Let's look at what God does, what Jacob does. And uh, we will see how off Jacob is, by the way. Um, Verse 20, let's see if we can wrap things up. Uh, Then Jacob made a vow. Uh, By the way, this is the first and only patriarch That makes a vow to God. Not smart to make vows to God. Do you know why? Why shouldn't you make vows to God? For one reason. God doesn't make deals. He's a father. He's a giver. And the second reason. You won't keep the vow you make. And do not make vows to God rashly. Foolishly. Uh, Jacob makes a vow to God saying. If. God will be with me and keep me in this way that I am going and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on so that I come back to my father's house in peace. Then the Lord shall be my God. Uh, What is Jacob doing? What is Jacob doing? He's making a deal. He's trying to take control. Our character changes lowly and God shows amazing grace right uh, then the Lord shall be my God and this stone which I have set as a pillar shall be God's house and of all the things you give me I will surely give a tenth to you well aren't you generous <laughs> as if God needs Jacob's money right? God, if you bless me and if you be with me and if you give me food and you give me clothes and you give me everything I need, you give me a wife, then I'll worship you and then I'll tithe. Oh, well, you got a deal. I'm sure God is just thrilled about that deal. Now, I I should say, just for the accuracy of Bible teaching, there are scholars who believe that that's not what's happening here. And the word if could be translated since, and it is translated that way. So linguistically, it is possible that uh, Jacob is saying, God, since you're doing all these things for me, you will be my Lord, and I will build an altar. And that is possible. But I tell you, I don't think so at all. Why? Because Jacob doesn't have that kind of character. And he's not going to have that kind of character in the next chapter, and in the chapter after that. And God hasn't grown him that way yet. It is possible, but I personally don't hold that position. I think Jacob is trying to still make deals with God. And the last point I want to leave you with is this. God can give you so much more when when we pray what God wants and not what we want. God, if you'll do this, and if you'll do this, and if you'll do this, I would ask you, examine your prayer life. Are you aligning yourself to do what God wants, or are you telling God what you want? The majority of people's prayers are which one? The latter. And you will go twice as far, twice as fast with God if you quit telling him what you want and you actually pray what? What he wants. Jesus Taught the disciples this way Our Father, that art in heaven, close, personal, intimate relationship with your heavenly Father. But also, holy is your name. Better have reverence. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Not my kingdom, my will, your kingdom, your will in my life today, just like it is in heaven. Uh, When we quit praying what we want and start focusing on what God wants, we can go somewhere much quicker with God. God's work of building Jacob has begun. It'll take him 20 years in this wrestling match to make him into who he wants to be. And God will finish what he started. He will transform Jacob Swindler into Israel governed by God. And what an amazing work. But it's a process. Um, I'll give you one more verse. And you'd say, would you stop giving me verses, please? Uh, Last one. Uh, This verse reveals God's heart on this subject. Uh, This verse reveals what God is looking for as we walk with him in life. It's in Psalm 32. Uh, I'd like you to read it with me. Um, Let me hear you read. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Do not be like the the horse or like the mule, which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with a bit and a bridle, excuse me, a bit and a bridle, uh, else they will not come near you. Let's unpack that just a little bit real fast. What does God say I want to do? I want to instruct you. I want to teach you. Paraphrase. I want to lead, guide, and direct you into every step in life. You do, God? Yes. Well, great. How do you want to do it? Well, what's the next part he says? I want to do it with what? My eye. What does that mean? In order for me to see God's eye, where do I have to be looking? At God's face. You see, there is something amazing about an intimate relationship. I could be in a big party with a, with a party with this many people in it. And I could see my wife all the way across the room in the corner. And with we could just make eye contact. And with just eye contact, I met her when I was 18. With just eye contact, I can know Oh, she's having fun. <laughs> or I can know. Oh, it's time to go. <laughs> because there's intimacy there. Because we know each other. And God says, I want to teach you in the way you should go, and I want to do it with my eye. I want you to know my ways, and I want just when you face it, I just want you to you go. Hey, I'm here. Here it is. Let's go. Oh, God, I'm in. I'm in. I know what you want me to do. And here's the warning he gives us. Now, don't be like the horse or the stubborn donkey. God's saying, don't be a jackass, which only turns. Why? Because it's got a bit in its mouth. When you pull on the donkey's rein, does it turn because he loves you? No, he turns because, oh, that hurts. Okay, I'll go this direction. And God says, I'd rather not go that way. I want to guide you with what? My eye. May we learn. May we walk. May we marvel at his abounding mercy to meet us where we are,